A very good morning to you. Grab a seat, grab a, um, grab a coffee, grab a donut, grab your Bible. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. We lead this church, the wonderful Southwest London Vineyard. If you're new here or you're visiting, you're very welcome. It's great to see you. Uh, do join us for lunch afterwards at the yard if you'd like to. And we'd love to see you. Do you ever feel like um, life is a, is, a, is, a little, is a little bit of a battle? Sometimes life's a little bit of a battle. And, 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 and sort of in addition to that, you kind of feel like you're the only one in it from time to time. Yes? You know what it's like? You look at the, li- you look at the lives of the people around you. And you look at people around you, and it feels like, and it seems like, it looks like the people around you are living their lives in this kind of cool um, oasis of serenity and tranquility. And um, your life, you know, from time to time at least, feels much more like a battlefield. It feels much more like a war zone. Sort of like you're in a, a war that... that more often than not, you kind of feel like you're losing. And so you look around you, you know, you sort of keep an eye out for what's going on around you. And you look around you and you look at people's lives. And I don't know, you sort of, you look at their marriages maybe. And you kind of go, you know, look at them, their marriage. You know, they're, they're, their marriage is just like amazing. Have you noticed how everyone, those of you who are married, have you noticed how everyone else's marriage is like amazing? Everyone else's marriage is like the perfect Marriage, and so you look at their life, and you look at their marriages, and you go, their marriage is just amazing. All I hear about are their wonderful weekly date nights, you know, and the romantic gestures of the flowers and the chocolates, and it's just, they they have an amazing marriage. And then you kind of look at your marriage, and you go, well, you know, our marriage is good, you know, but it's not not quite, it's it's not like theirs. And so, you know, sort of in a desperate attempt to maybe find some chink in their armor, you turn to their children, um, who of course are uh, sort of seemingly uh, effortlessly um, all straight-A students. You know, they all um, know and love Jesus and pursue him with a passion, and they seem to achieve academic excellence and spiritual excellence whilst performing Olympian feats of sporting achievement in their spare time. And you sort of look at your own children and go, maybe the less said the better. <laughs> and not only that, you look around you and it seems like everyone around you has landed the perfect job. Or at least if they haven't landed the perfect job, they know exactly what they're doing with their lives. They know exactly what their calling is and what their purpose is and why they're here. And they're working hard towards that objective. Or you know, maybe you're single and maybe everyone around you or someone around you, you know, they've, they've just met Mr. Right, you know, and you're clearly sentenced to an eternity of singleness or serially unsuccessful and unsatisfactory uh, dates. Um, everyone around you, it seems like their faith is unwavering. They never have any doubts. They never have any questions and and. Truth be told, yours is sort of, well, not quite so much. And, and then um, it's, sort of, it's sort of an incredulous thing. You look around you and it, it, it's sort of beyond belief, but um, there doesn't seem to be anything in all of these people's lives that you know. That, that there doesn't seem to be anything that's not going well. There's nothing in their lives that they shouldn't be doing. There's nothing that they're trying to sort out, nothing that they're wrestling with, nothing that they're struggling with. Everything's going 
swimmingly. Of course, I'm overstating it. But sometimes it can feel and sometimes it can seem that everyone around you lives in this blissful state of uh, calm and tranquility and serenity, this nirvana. And, and yet you're sort of trying to struggle through life as if you're walking through this uh, battle zone. And this battle, as I was saying, at, the, at least half the time you feel like you're losing. Well, of course, there's, uh, there's good news and there's bad news. Yes, uh, always. Uh, the good news, if you can call it that, um, because good news already is actually good news, but the good news is that in all honesty, um, we are all in the same boat. We're all in exactly the same boat. The people that you're looking at thinking, wow, their life, it's just like awesome. It's, they've got it all sussed. They've got it all sewn up. Trust me, those people are probably looking at your life and going, wow, she's got it all sussed. He's got it all sussed. They've got it all sussed. They've got it all sewn up. They're thinking exactly the same thing of you. The truth is we're all, in the, we're all in pretty much the same boat. So that's the good news. The bad news is um, that far from living in this cool oasis of calm, um, serenity and tranquility that I think many of us perhaps are striving for, um, the bad news is uh, that we're all living in a war zone. We're all living in a battle. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is a battlefield. The, um, the cartoonist and creator of The Far Side, any of you know The Far Side? You know Gary Larson? Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Uh, he pretty much describes what life, I think he pretty much describes what life as a Christian uh, often feels like. And this has uh, become for us in our household a bit of a catchphrase over the years. And it's the, it's the cartoonist, Two Deer in the Wood. Uh, have we got that? And one of them has got this great big target on his belly. And the other famously says to him, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Yeah. And, and Kate and I often walk around the house and just go, bummer of a birthmark, Hal, uh, when something goes catastrophically wrong. And um, if we're honest, sometimes, sometimes that's what life feels, it feels like. It feels like we're walking around life with this great big target on our sides just so that the enemy can see us that little bit more clearly just so that he can kind of focus in his sights just that little bit more accurately on all our vulnerable spots. Well, some more good news, again, uh, if you can call it that, is that not only are we pretty much all in the same boat, um, but actually, according to the Bible, at least that's my reading of it, um, this is kind of how it's going to be. This is kind of how it's going to be, at least while we're living here, on earth. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he says, I am sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Great. You know, there's not great odds in anyone's books. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Great. Uh, Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking out whom he may devour. Good. Good to hear. And he goes on, he says, we need to be on the lookout for our enemy, who we are to resist, by the way, 
And he says this is standing firm in the faith. Why are we supposed to stand firm in the faith? He writes this. Because we know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're to resist the enemy. We're to resist the devil because we know that the family of believers, Christians all over the world, not just here, everywhere, everywhere, everyone, they're all going through the same challenge. They're all in the same battle. They're all going through the same sufferings. According to Paul, we're living in this dark world. And our calling, as he puts it, our commission, our mandate, as Jesus puts it, is to do battle and to wage battle against it all. Rah. By the way, if you, if you look at your life and um, actually you sort of take a look at it and you, you, know, you say to yourself, do you know what I think? I think my life's going rather well. I, I, I honestly do. I look at my life and do you know what? It's pretty marvelous. It's pretty good. I, I look at, you, know, you look at your marriage, you look at your job, you look at your kids, you look at whatever else you, think of, you can think of. And if you're saying to yourself, do you know what? Everything's going swimming, swimmingly. It's all tick-tick-boo. Um, I hate to shatter your illusions, but chances are, chances are, um, it's not quite as perfect as you may think, is the first thing. Um, and secondly, if it is that perfect, um, it may be the result of the fact that you're playing life a little bit too safe. Because if you look at the life of Jesus... Um, it rarely looks like it's going too well. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Paul, and it pretty much never looks like it's going well. In fact, if you, if you look at pretty much anybody in the Bible, look at anybody's life in the Bible, and there are not too many examples of neat and tidy lives. That's just a, an aside for you to gnaw on as we go through the rest of Philippians. So if we're in this battle... If we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the spiritual realms, if we are walking out like sheep amongst wolves with a big sign around our neck saying, eat me, um, if we know that we are part of a family of believers that throughout the world is experiencing uh, the same kind of suffering, uh, there's not really much in there for celebration. You know, there's not much kind of, it's not much, like, it's not kind of like a, this isn't like a feel-good talk. You know, this isn't, there's not much real cause for, for, for feeling joyful. Um, but of course, yes, you guessed it, somehow Paul, of course, manages it. And not only does he manage, when we're looking at Philippians, not only does he manage to have this sense of deep and profound joy in the midst of all of this battle and this challenge and these sufferings, not only does he manage to do that for himself, but he also manages at the same time when he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi to um, give them guidance, to equip them, to encourage them, of course, from his prison cell, on how we too might experience joy in the midst of battle. So, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to um, Philippians chapter 1, and we'll have a look at verses 27 uh, to... 30, if I can see at all. Okay, here we are. Verse 27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, 
striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So here's Paul, and he's carrying on what he's been saying earlier on in chapter 1. It started in his prayer where he prays that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. And then it goes through to his encouragement to the church that um, he says, what has happened to me? All the stuff that he's been through, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, to advance the good news of the gospel right through to what we were talking about last week, where he's, he's sort of saying, whatever happens to me, whether I live or die, it's all gain. For to, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what happens This is what he's saying. No matter what happens, no matter what fight we find ourselves in, um, no matter what challenge we're facing, no matter what battle we're in, no matter what we're suffering, Paul here is encouraging and exhorting the church in Philippi that in spite of all of that that they're facing, he's saying, live a life worthy of the gospel in what he calls the faith of the gospel. And it's in our battle to defend the faith, in our battle to um, contend with whatever it is the enemy throws at us. Paul gives us some essentials, I think, for um, victory in the midst of that battle to defend the faith and to protect the faith. And those three things that we're going to look at this morning are consistency, collaboration, and confidence. Because everything has to begin with the same letter. I don't know what would happen if they didn't the world would probably end. So we've got three C's to help us as we go through this. Have a look at verse 27. Let's look at the first one, consistency. He says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying is, in the midst of battle, no matter what's going on, and when he, the word here, you know, for whatever in the Greek, you know, it, it means um, whatever, right? So uh, whatever happens... Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. No matter what the circumstances we're facing, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult, our mandate, our calling in the face of that challenge is to live a life worthy and consistent with that of a follower of Jesus. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, saying, guys, behave the way citizens are supposed to behave. Behave the way citizens are supposed to behave. And he uses this word, the word that he uses for conduct, um, it's where we get our word politics um, from. And and Paul's introducing an idea here that he picks up later. You've all been reading Philippians every day. Yeah? Every day? Every day. Um, And you'll know then, because you've read ahead, uh, that he picks up this idea in chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are actually citizens of heaven. And while we're here on earth, we ought to be behaving, we ought to be conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, we ought to be conducting ourselves and carrying ourselves as citizens of heaven. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in uh, Mere Christianity, his book Mere Christianity, and he says this, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable, ex- the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And for the people in Philippi, all of this would have made lots of sense. This makes lots of sense to them because Philippi, Philippi was a Roman colony. Its citizens were actually Roman citizens. They were protected by Roman law. And so this makes sense to them in the same way that it should make sense to us. Because as the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to be a colony of heaven on earth. We are called to live first and foremost as citizens of heaven. We are to conduct ourselves consistently in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And a good question for us to be asking ourselves from time to time is, am I conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Because one of the most powerful weapons against the enemy is a godly life. So this is the first essential victory in this battle that we're in. So the first is consistency. The second is collaboration. Have a look at the rest of verse 27. He says this, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Paul, what he does, he changes his illustration, he changes the metaphor, if you like, from um, politics to athletics. Uh, And the word that we've got here, this striving together, it's uh, a Greek word, and it's the word where we get our word athletics from. And, And Paul's trying to conjure, trying to create this picture of the church like as a team of co-laborers. And what he's doing is he's reminding them, he's saying to them, he's saying, look, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, no matter how um, fiercely the battle is raging around us, we should never forget, we must never forget that it's by pulling together as a team. It's by co-laboring together. It's by being collaborative. It's by being cooperative. It's by being a team, if you like, that's going to enable us to get through the challenge that we're facing. And the thing to bear in mind here is that uh, the church in Philippi at this time, there were all kinds of divisions going on in the church here at Philippi. Again, you've read on to chapter 4, and you know that there's at least a couple of women. They're they're just not getting on with each other at all, and that was causing divisions, and the church was taking sides you know, one side against the other, and, um, and that was causing all these uh, divisions in the church, and it was hindering the ministry of the church because there's all this squabbling and infighting going on. Um, and, and we know what that's like. You know, we've all been around churches and the church for long enough to know that those kind of things happen, and there's kind of divisions, and there's differences of opinion, and relationships sort of fragment a little bit, and it hinders the work and the ministry of the church. And... Um, uh, 
we know that the enemy targets our relationships. The enemy is always really happy when he sees um, uh, strife and squabble happening, uh, particularly in a church. Something that stops or hinders the ministry of a church. He, he loves that kind of stuff. Um, and Paul's saying it's actually by it's only by us standing united together. It's by us all kind of linking arms that we can um, fight off the enemy and we can overcome. And, and throughout this letter, Paul uses this interesting device, and it, it, it's a, a linguistic device to emphasize this sense of unity. Uh, and it's a it's a prefix in the Greek, and it, it's this it's this little word um, "son," and it it, me, it sort of means um, uh, with or together. And you stick it on the front of a word, and it sort of emphasizes this, this idea of togetherness and, 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 and collaboration and cooperation and uh, unity. It's sort of like our word, you know, sort of like co. And um, at least 16 times in this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul uses that little device. And his readers, it wouldn't have gone unnoticed. They wouldn't have missed it. They would have seen it. They would have sensed it. They would have known exactly what he was getting at. And in, in chapter uh, 1, verse 27, this word is, is, is synathlio, which is this idea of um, striving together, coming together as athletes. That's what he's trying to get us to do. You're all athletes, now come together and, and work for the pursuit of the, of the faith of the gospel together. And the way that we should think about it is like, like a relay team. Think of it like we're this relay team, and every single one of us has our... Um, part to play. We all, we've all got our bit to do. We all have a, a function. We all have a specific role and task. And we are to work together intentionally to support one another, to collaborate together, to cooperate together, to encourage one another, to, to work together with one objective, and that is to know Jesus and to make him known. And it's as we work together, as we collaborate as the church, as a fellowship of believers, as we um, collaborate in the gospel, we will reach the goal. We will win the prize. We will win the race. Yeah? We will see Jesus glorified. We've seen that. We've seen an example. Kate was talking about it earlier on. We've seen an example of that very thing just this week through Alpha. You know, Alpha, we're running Alpha in three different locations, in, in, in Wimbledon, in Battersea, in New Malden. It's still not too late. We've had one week. It's not too late. If you or your friends want to join, um, by all means, bring them along. But it's been a fantastic example of this church collaborating in, um, in something to see the good news of Jesus spread to those who don't yet know him. And... Uh, what's great about it is rather than it being like a one-person show, uh, some of you have said, well, we, you know, we've got a house. Why don't you use our house uh, and we can open up our house and run an alpha through our house. It's like, fantastic. And then other people have said, well, I haven't got a house, but I can be nice to people. So can I be like on the welcome team and I'll like, give people drinks and serve them food and, and make sure they've had a good week and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, great. And then other people have said, well, you know, I'd be really happy to um, run a small group. Can I run a small group? I think I could facilitate a conversation about Jesus. It's like, awesome. And then lots of people have said, oh, I can't do very much, but I, I can cook. I can cook something. Can I, can I cook a couple of times for one of the alphas? It's like, yeah, that would be amazing. And then a whole, a whole a bunch of other people have said, well, I can't do any of that, but I can pray. Can I pray? And it's like, yes, that would be amazing. So all these people praying. 
And then, of course, all of us, all of us are working together, inviting our friends and, and telling our friends about it and bringing our friends along. And so it's this fantastic example of a ministry of this church that every single one of us can be involved in together in some way or another. And that's just one example. There are plenty of others. You know, exactly the same is true of Job Club, exactly the same is true of Food Bank, same is true of uh, uh, Vineyard Kids and Small Groups. So many opportunities for us in this church to get involved in seeing the kingdom of God extended. No matter how big or small our part is, because we all have a role uh, to play as we collaborate together and co-labor together in seeing the kingdom of God extended and the good news of Jesus preached to our communities and our local uh, neighborhoods. And what Paul's doing here is he's kind of reminding us again about this importance to be single-minded. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. But the importance of having this single-minded focus of all of our attention um, uh, of even though the enemy may be throwing stuff at us, even though we may be in the midst of challenge, we may be in the midst of battle, that we can experience profound joy as we co-labor for Christ and the faith of the gospel. So, as citizens of heaven, we are to walk consistently. As um, members of the body, we are to work together collaboratively. And then, Uh, According to Paul here, there's this third element we need to work on as we face the enemies. We go through these challenges and as we go through the inevitable battles that we will um, face as followers of Jesus, and that's confidence. Have a look at verses 28 to 30. He says this, he goes on in verse 28, he says, without being frightened, don't don't be frightened, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, your, your enemies. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And what Paul's saying, first off, is that we should not be intimidated by um, the opposition. We should not be afraid of the enemy. You know, we've read the book. We know how it ends. We know that the lamb wins. We know that he's victorious. We know that the enemy has been defeated at the cross. We know that he's been given free reign over the earth until Christ returns again. But we know that he's on borrowed time. Okay? So we know about the victory that is ours through Christ Jesus. And so we really don't need to be intimidated or threatened by um, or bullied by the enemy. And, and in these verses, I think he gives us a couple of encouragements to give us confidence in the battles um, that we're facing. And, and first of all, it's, it's all counterintuitive because this is the kingdom and it's all kind of upside down for the way that we think sometimes. But um, first of all, there's something in these battles, there's something in these challenges that God uses to, um, to prove us, um, to establish us. He, he, he's, a, he's a God who redeems. And so he turns situations that the enemy has intended for harm, God turns them for good. Yeah, he, you know, what the enemy has intended for harm, God transforms it, he redeems it, he changes it. And rather than, we've talked about this before, rather than that situation bringing death, 
which is what the enemy intends. God redeems it and it brings life. And there's something about the challenge and the difficulty that we face that God actually then uses to redeem and uses it to establish us in all righteousness. And he says this, he says in verse 29, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. You see, we're called not only to believe in Christ, which we like, yeah, we're also called to suffer for Christ. Don't like. We're called to believe in Christ, but we're also called to suffer for Christ. It's what Paul writes about again in chapter 3, verse 10, when he calls it the fellowship of his sufferings. We are invited, we have the privilege and the honor to be invited into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 16. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must first of all deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. For some reason, and it's mostly new believers, but it's by no means exclusively new believers because there are lots of long-standing believers who believe this too, and what we believe is that when I give my life to Jesus, all of my problems will go away. All of my challenges will go away. All of my battles will disappear. Life will be just plain sailing. Am I just doing this wrong? Like... <laughs> See? Consistent, collaborative, <laughs> suffering. I'm not doing it wrong. This is it. This is how it is. Because when we come to faith in Jesus, it's not like all our problems go away. We just have a whole new set of difficulties. We have a whole new set of challenges. What Paul's saying here is that just as we're called to believe in Jesus, so too we are called to suffer for him. It's part of the same thing. It's all part one and the same thing. There isn't one without the other. But that's not to overwhelm us. You know, he also writes we should take heart for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we don't mind that there's some suffering. We don't mind that there's some challenge. We don't mind that there's some battle. Because it's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But not only do these challenges and some of these battles that we face, not only can they prove us and establish us and, 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 and prove and establish our faith in Jesus, there's, there's something about them, um, about their presence in our lives that actually um, can be a privilege. And I know this sounds really counterintuitive and countercultural. He, he, see what he says in verse 29. He says, um, he says, For it has been granted to you. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ Jesus, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. And when Paul writes that this has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, what he's saying is that um, somehow this is a gift. This is a gift to you from Jesus. <laughs> I don't want that gift. But there's something in the suffering, there's something in the challenge, there's something in the battle that's been granted to us on behalf of Christ Jesus. 
And suffering, you know, and going through difficulty just for ourselves because of our own rank stupidity, you know, that, there's, no, there's, no, there's no privilege in that. But because we're suffering for and with Christ, because we are joining in the fellowship of his sufferings, that is a whole new ballgame. That is a high and holy calling and honor. And um, what we do is we step into, in some small, small way, Christ's sufferings. And part of our willingness to do that is an expression of our love and our gratitude for the suffering that he has endured for us on the cross. And so we say, I, I have given my life in full surrender to you. And if that means that there's an element of suffering in my life because of you, if there's a way that I can participate in the fellowship of the sufferings, I'll do that gladly. Many of you know um, of Jackie Pullinger and her work amongst the heroin addicts of Hong Kong. This year, slightly terrifyingly, marks the 50th anniversary of the start of her journey. She packed off from London. She got on a boat, um, didn't know where she was going to get off, and she felt like the Lord told her to get off in Hong Kong. And so she got off in Hong Kong in 1966 and um, started ministering to the, uh, in the walled city which was uh, there, now she was just, uh, then she was sharing the good news of Jesus, particularly to the heroin addicts, the opium addicts, and, and she was there defending the faith. And she's someone who knows um, uh, far too well, she knows about the battle that's uh, being waged in the lives of people without hope, without um, with people who have no sense of purpose, people who have no um, meaning. And she, she, she also is someone who knows, uh, again, perhaps more than most, of the privilege and the honor of laying down your life for Jesus and of sharing in his sufferings. And um, Jackie puts it much more eloquently than I ever could. So um, why don't we watch this and then we'll minister. It's, um, it's an old film and it's pretty grainy and dark. Um, so, but it's really the, it's what, it's what she says rather than, have a look at this. The principle of the gospel is this. The gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. If the gospel brought death to Jesus Christ, why would we think that in preaching the gospel it would be any less for us? So no. He says, if anybody would be my disciple, must take up his cross and follow me if it killed him to give life to us and he invites us then to do the same why would we expect that it would be any less so the mixture of our message is life and death and laughter and tears and such it is but for us <laughs> life is never ordinary Life is never flat. And this is what Jesus said about his father in John 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. 
Jesus was not sentenced to die by his father. He was allowed to choose. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And he said, this is why my father loves me. God the Father had this extraordinary plan of winning you and me for eternity by having his son killed. But his son voluntarily responded. No, it's not so easy for him to respond. In fact, he spent his whole life practicing. And even the night before, it was still difficult for Jesus. And he said, God, is there another way? Is there another way? And I know many, many people in the church say, is there another way? And in our Hong Kong churches, it does look as if there's another way. Normal Christians live a normal Christian life, go to meetings, jump up and down on stages while we are exhausted and die. And they say, oh, you've got a special ministry, Jackie. And I say, oh, no, I think, I think we're all called to give up our lives. Would you like to do this with us? We'd really like some help. Poor people all over the earth who have never heard of Jesus, they are the poorest people. They are desperate for food. They are desperate for blankets. They're desperate for medicine. They're desperate for water. The most number of people worldwide who've never heard about the love of our Lord Jesus Christ are desperately poor. And they are not going to come here to hear the gospel. We have to go there. So, why haven't people gone? something to do with guarding a life and living a normal life so other people can go but I say no why don't you all go if you've tasted such good things go to the ends of the earth because those poor aren't going to watch Jesus on TV they haven't got electricity <laughs> they, they're not going to hear about him unless we go so would you I'm here with a plea for you. If you've known the love of God, if you've tasted of His sweetness at all, there's no other way to serve Him except giving up your life. And this is voluntary. This is not a sentence of death at all. We're not sentenced to death. We're just privileged to answer his call. Privileged to answer his call. That sounds about right. Why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another. If we can have the band back.